Beneath their gorgeous exterior, 1-800-GOT-JUNK trucks were designed to be ready for anything. How about construction site junk? All you have to do is point. Retail, grocery store, warehouse, office junk? Point, 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 point. How about the monumental junk left after a fire or a flood or a hurricane? This time, you'll need to do it with your other hand. Why? Because the first hand will be tired from all of that other pointing. (laughs) I see your point. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. There is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. And this week we have with us, we have Rab Fulton. It's coming to us from the UK. I, I think from Scotland, right? No, Ireland. From Ireland, even, even better. Oh, your family's from Scotland. You got Yeah, well, yeah. So, Rab is from Ireland, and he, he does a story, well, a show called The Celtic Tales, where he, guess what, tells Celtic tales. And that is exactly what I was looking for, and I found him, and it was great. He's a storyteller. He uh, lives within the fabric of Galway and Connemara. I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, even without, uh, well, without the local accent, with my accent, we all have some sort of accent anyway. Um, and he's got family back in Scotland, that's why I had this uh a little bit messed up. He does teach at university, um, but he wants to make it clear that he doesn't try to teach as an academic, that he's a practitioner of his craft. Um, and he creates stories uh, in a fabric holistic type of way. Um, and he considers himself bilingual in English and Irish. So for those, uh, those of us here in the United States or even maybe Australia and Canada, See, English and Irish are, are different languages. I've, I've said that a million times, uh, as is Scottish. Uh, 
he does so much other stuff. He does uh, poetry. He's he's uh, working with the Galway Museum. Uh, it, it, it's actually rather amazing uh, all all the things he does and focuses on. But no one can tell you better than he can. So. Rab, I thank you so much for joining us, uh, especially since we don't really know each other and you just sort of said yes uh, enthusiastically and jumped right in. So thank you for coming into the garden and doing. We really appreciate you being here. And please do a better job of telling the folks about yourself than I just did. Oh, no, I, I, that was fine. There was, I, I, there's a few qualifications. Just, um, I'm Scottish. I spoke some folk with my accent, but I'm like a lot of folk in Scotland. I'm, a mixture of Scottish and Irish background, and a lot of folk in Ireland have got a mixture of Scottish and Irish background as well. Um, I was probably speaking English, and then it was called Scots dialect. Cousin of English, I think, was a cousin of Scots. A little, little bit of Irish, but I, I wouldn't say I'm an Irish speaker. A lot of people get confused because we have, <gasps> we have English, we have Irish, Gaelga, uh, and then in Scotland, you've got Gaelic. Uh, and then you've also got Scots or Scots dialect. So we get anything, yeah, you get that as well. So do you know what? I thought you did quite well there, considering all the varieties of things you could be tripping over in Scotland and Ireland. Um, yeah, so I think it's just safe to say I'm from one country with my background from another country, whilst living in that other country being aware of my background in the other country and uh, I. Okay. I think that's a, that sums everything up. And just to kind of clarify again, so it's, I, 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 I cry myself a wordsmith. Cry is a Scots word for call, so I call myself a wordsmith. It's the best description of me. I work in uh, English, I work in Scots dialect, and I work in poetry and prose. And I may hear some, and maybe that may be teenage children now starting to sing, which is beautiful. <laughs> Gorgeous. And well, so good. Definitely a boy band. Come just definitely a, the it's next a Fab Five, yeah. Um, so I'm working on, I know I'm a lot of projects just now. I'm, um, I've been over in, in, in Scotland, right? My, my mother's funeral was in Scotland, so it was a very kind of crazy kind of month there. I was back in Scotland, so my accent is. Try to get it back to neutral, and um, so a lot of my projects I'm working on just now, I only catch up with them. And um, one of them was a poetry in English, which was strange because I don't usually write poetry in English, writing Scots dialect, but writing a poetry uh, commission in English for a thing called um, poetry as commemoration, which is partly funded by the Irish government and um, thanks UCD, the University of. Uh, Dublin, and it's um, people engaging with uh, the archives from what's known as the Decades of Revolution, which is 1930 to 1923, so it's the Irish Rise and the Irish War of Independence and uh, Civil War. Huh. Uh, there's no children expelling each other. This is great. This is, beautiful. Is, is that death metal they're singing now? I think I have to get out there, which I'm going to just say was in keeping with what I was talking about because a big part of the book, <laughs> 1930 to 1923, was Irish asking the British to get out. And uh, so there you go, put it down as a, a coincidence there. So I'm doing that, but then I'm also teaching some projects in the university. I teach in the, pro in the university, why do I do say? 
I teach the cat of storytelling. But I teach it in a way that um, I pass on the craft so other folk can then pass on the craft as well. The idea is I will then oversee them working with teenagers or children or whatever. But they actually, the students I teach, they do the work. And so that's kind of, so again, I, some of that work is in Irish. And there's a lot of podcasts in Irish and English. That was because the students I was working with were Irish speakers. I was teaching them in English, but they were Irish speakers. And then they went out to an Irish speaking area and took the skills I gave them to work with Irish speaking children to collect stories. So, yeah, there's an Irish element weaves in there as well. So there is that language does come in. But it comes to my, my teaching practice, which is passing skills on in a way that people can then learn to pass on skills about collecting stories, listening to stories, and empowering others to retell their stories, their family stories. That's a long introduction. That's fine. Children, I want children shouting in the background. So. Long, yeah. long and meandering is, is my specialty as well. Um, now, I guess first I should tell the audience what the main thrust of the show is going to be, and then I've got a couple of preliminary questions for you, which have... Well, probably something to do with the show, but uh, unintentional. Well, not unintentionally, but maybe more accidentally or tangential. Anyway, the, the, what I asked Rap to talk about is sort of Irish foundation myths um, or the origin story of the island, so to speak, the island's uh, historic pantheon of gods. Uh, you know, I, I believe there was some type of polytheistic. Uh, religion probably related to other Celtic religions, maybe related to what we consider Norse and Germanic. Who knows? I don't know. We're going to find out soon enough. And some of the great heroes of Irish folklore, which may or may not be intermingled with uh, the deity um, mythologies as well. A lot of times they're inextricably intertwined, uh, you know, uh, like the Trojan War. Other times they might be completely independent or, you know, pseudo-historical like a, or quasi-historical like, say, a King Arthur uh, or like a Boudicca. We're, we're going to find out together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn this together because I am very ignorant on the subject. And although I intended to study up on it these past two weeks, I didn't. I didn't even do my little YouTube, like watching those 15 or 30 minute uh, clips of it. I just didn't have the time, which, which is fine because we have an expert professional storyteller here. But before we get into those things, you did indicate that there was an Irish language and a Scottish language. You gave them names. I I think I either missed them, but I believe you said Scottish was Gaelic, which I would probably pronounce Gaelic. I don't know if I'm correct or not. Um, I think for Irish, you said something like Gael Da. I, you know, and, and yeah, I... Yeah, it's, it's, it's in Scotland is Gaelic. And then, which sometimes in Ireland is called Gaelic, but it's actually more common as Gaelga or just Irish. Okay. And, uh, so you have those two languages. That's the kind of Perfect. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Is there is there still a language that that would be Pictish, or is that the same as Gaelic? No, 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 no. You're going way. It's you're going way, 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 way back. It's lost to history. Okay, so can we jump in? Sure. <laughs> Let's jump in. Language is a good place to jump in. Uh, right. The interesting thing, well, first of all, right, for your, your your listeners, one of the things maybe to do is get a map. And a lot of the way people traditionally look at a map is you have 
your Britain on the right hand side of your map, and then you get this kind of, kind of strange little battered square shape of the coast to the left hand side of the map, and that's the British Isles. So if you actually put the map on its side, and you have Ireland, you can put on the side and have Ireland at the top. What you then start doing is you start looking at the water and how obviously there's no aeroplanes then, there's no motorways, there's no trains, people travel by water. And when you start to look at that, you start to see the, the roots of water. And so you get the west coast of Ireland, and it goes by the west coast of Scotland, and then if you keep going, you're up to Orkney, Sparrows, up into, you know, parts of Scandinavia, and then, of course, the argument is that you can be taken out across again to Iceland, Greenland, all that. So you've got that transmission of culture going on there. And so people try and find these roots because there are elements in the stories, and we're going to get back to some of those stories in a minute, where you can argue, okay, this comes from, uh, you know, Viking influence, or this comes from, again, you follow the, the water routes the other way, it takes you down to the Iberian Peninsula. So you said, okay, this comes from you know, Portugal, Spain. And then then that opens you up to the whole trade which you've got in the Mediterranean. So there's this folk around trying to find um, linguistic connections or um, artistic connections that prove this and that and this and that. All I'm going to say to listeners is for everybody that proves something, there's somebody that proves that is not so. And that that's no disrespect to anybody. It's it, in fact, if anything, is perfectly in keeping with the nature of Irish stories, and that Irish stories they still are a living thing. I think this is one of the things when when you're outside Ireland or outside Scotland, there's a perception that the stories are things you get in a book or in a museum and they're done, they're finished, they're done, and we can say this, 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 this. But that's not the case. We there's a kind of folklore traditions. There's people constantly re-engaging with these stories as well. And you know, even as we we're speaking just now, we're actually within a couple of days of a of a pretty huge reimagining of um, Irish, one of the Irish great heroic characters in Ireland, um, Saint Bridget. Some folk argue she's also um, Bridget of the, the Dua de Danon, which takes us right back to pre Christian foundation stuff. And certainly, her, the day that she's celebrated on, which is the 1st of February, which is in the Celtic tradition as involved, the start of spring. And again, that's a very old thing. So these are living traditions. People are constantly engaged with. So, uh, in Ireland, we talk about the patron saint Patrick, but we also have the matron saint, which is um, Bridget herself. So, and now finally, she's also going to have a, a national holiday. Her national holiday is going to be every Monday after the 1st of February, will be a um, bank holiday. So, you get, or you don't need to go to school or go to work or whatever. And uh, so that's. Again, this is something that is part of a, a constant reimagining, not just of the stories, but of the nations that 
engage with those stories and I would say nations because I'm including Scotland as well. There's no stories. As far as I know, there's no stories of Bridget in Scotland, but she is. There's, there's traditions and folk traditions and place names. You know, I lived in Scotland, there was Kilbride, which is Glelgar and Gaelic for Church of St. Bridget. May I interject so, for a moment and ask a question? Yes. Uh, based, on some, based on something I've, I've sort of seen in lots of places, and and this may just be not related at all, or just, uh, yeah, I could be completely wrong, and it's fine if the answer is completely wrong. But I, I'm hearing about Bridget, obviously female, uh, and this predates sort of St. Patrick, which, you know, was sort of the, you know, the 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 patron saint, but sort of the patron saint that was the outsider came in, you know, and all, you know, sort of, you know, the, the snakes, the metaphor for Christianity defeating the pagans and all that other great stuff, but St. Patrick male. And I have noticed that in a lot of the older cultures um, that they were matriarchal. You, you had sort of mother earth, you know, in an equal or almost superior position to, you know, say the sky father or whatever version, but it's matriarchal. And then, and then sort of at some point, the worm sort of turned to more male dominated. Obviously that's overly simplistic. Nothing's universal. Um, but is that just a coincidence or, or was, you know, pre Christianity, was it sort of a more of a matriarchal society where sort of the, the, the feminine gods were, were, were in a higher position or is that just me seeing something that isn't there? No, it's not you seeing something isn't there. But the caution that we always have is that we live 2,000 years after then. And it's very hard to then. The the problem with the stories is that there's, you know, there's the argument that these are stories that are actually, you know, they're going by Neolithic European coming here with people who travel here and then they're taking over society changes and you need body traditions for lords are coming up and they're their thing and the Christian church comes in and it's got his thing and, and it's constantly changing and constantly changing and then I think I mentioned this to you before we have this issue that's been coming up recently where you know we've been finding that some of the, the later bardic traditions from, from kind of I mean the bardic traditions like you know praising the lords and, and, and ask Wilga, this is you know, it goes straight into the time of um, Queen Elizabeth. I forgot. Oh, I keep forgetting the Queen of England back then. This is you know um, 15th, 16th century. And again, so you're talking about tradition there. that's actually surviving right of quite recent times. But what we're finding is that some of these um, poems, which were the foundation of the state, but are now the Irish state. As parts cut out of them. When they were, when they were shown to the world, look, this proves that we have this ancient tradition. We're going, this is amazing, this is fantastic. It's a fantastic part of the tradition. It's great, it's survived so long. This is amazing. Folks said, but this, that poem's a bit weird. There's a bit missing there. There was bits missing. And a lot of things were cut out. Things about same sex relationships were cut out. Things like that. So then we're at this point where, okay, so that's a re engagement with our past. Which is positive because it's saying, you know, this is a tradition that's kept going. But it's been reinterpreted in the 1920s to fit into another notion of what I think should be. But then folk are reclaiming that to fit in another tradition, saying, actually, no, that 
then this were taken out. But in a sense, we can't even say that either, because we don't, all we can say is, okay, we know there was, you know, same-sex relationships, and we can say all this, and we can say gender and transgender, and we can say all that existed, because it's always existed, but we still can't say what was folks' attitudes, because we aren't really there. All we can say is that there are these quite, to answer your question, then, I have to just say to you, audience, I am a storyteller. So people come to my shows and sometimes I go off and I go off and I wander, but that's part of the show. I'm going to try and not wander. All you can say is that there's definitely some very powerful figures right at the start of these cycles of stories in Ireland. And this goes right back to, if you want to talk about the foundation myths of, of the start, you know, you're talking about the, the two Dedanin, which is the, the people of the, god, the goddess Danu, and also the goddess. And there is, we don't know much about her as such, but we do know that there's other figures that are coming in there as well. And Bridget is one of them. She is, um, at, there's, there's three bridges, or she's one in triple aspect, there's Pocahontas as well. She's a, she's a poet. She is a, a smith, she makes things, and she's a healer. And of course, these are all things you need to decide. You need somebody to transmit culture and, you know, all our history, so that's the point. You need somebody to heal you if you're sick. Of course, you need somebody to make the tools, you can actually do it. And so it's very interesting that the person is doing these, these are pretty fundamental things you need in society. You know, sure. they're fundamental to the archetype. Death. The archetype, whether the it's yeah, whether it's the, the Mason, whether it's Toth, whether it's Osiris, the, 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 whether it's it, a, the Atlantean, it's the teacher. You need it. And it's not just a historical mythic thing. You know, people are talking about God to Mars and stuff. You go to Mars, somebody's going to have to transmit the history of what they're doing there. Somebody's going to have to right. compare things and make things. Somebody's going to have to make sure they be dies of. Martian flu, you know, this, these are so fundamental things, not just 3,000 years ago, but they're going to be fundamental things 3,000 years from now. And so, again, I'm talking about the idea, I'm very aware of At the moment we are in, this moment is only a transitional moment between past and future or present. It's, it's just part of a longer story. So there are these figures like um, Bridget coming into it, and kind of fading from the big heroic narrative, but in actual fact, surviving within folkloric traditions. And, you know, there's all these. And um, the, the other one is, is, is the Kaliak. She does that as well. She's a, she's a, a far different creature. She is, she's the kind of, the hag, the old woman, the death, but she's also, she has also figures of the kind of the maid and all that as well. And she's another very important figure. And she's very much, she's a winter being, and we've kind of come out of her side just now. And, um, and again, so that, there's all that kind of stuff. But again, what we get with all these, stories is the interesting thing is that where these people come from where these stories come from the idea that the 
the island, they don't just appear in Ireland, they come from sure. different traditions of where they come from, and people do try and tie that back to other sagas or even archaeology from, you know, the Indian Peninsula or into Scandinavia. And that does make sense if you look at the map that way, you're talking trade routes. And trade routes will bring stories and they also bring people, and some of those people will be quite powerful. And so there's all those things going on as well. Um, and one might just get my Scottish hat on. I have a Scottish hat and an Irish hat. A lot of Irish stories will seep into Scotland, parts of Ireland, a lot of Irish tales, even the heroic tales, they have heroes who find themselves in Scotland and they'll be learning things in Scotland as well. So Scotland's quite a, so that you have that definite back and forth between these two entities. Whether they were called Scotland at the time was a whole other question as people would not thought of that. But there's definitely that, you know, swapping of stories and cultures and music, you know, that well, was going on as well, music and language and weather systems, very much the same kind of weather as well in the west of Scotland and the west of Ireland. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. The question was, big woman, yes, there was. What does it mean? I don't actually know. <laughs> that's fine. That's completely okay. And and anybody who listens to the show regularly, uh, they already have heard this. I apologies to those folks, anybody who's new to the show. Uh, the Garden of Doom, the, the, I'm not going to go through the origin story of the name, um, but I've often used the metaphor that the roots spring wide, they grow in different directions. Sometimes they uh, circle back on each other and the, and so do the branches. Um, so we can touch everything and, and uh, our, our firmament, firmament is very uh, porous so that we can uh, visit extra dimensions as and they can visit us as well. So oh, meanderings are welcome in the garden, but to bring us back to uh, some type of foundation or uh, uh, lifeline, I think the easiest way to start at the start is with actually the origins, which is on our agenda. So let's talk about yeah. the, the foundation myth, the origin story of the island, and then we can go from there. Okay, um, so the three kind of, okay, island's kind of interesting that there's no one kind of main magical group as such. We what was called the Book of the Invaders, and, and it's different races coming in. And for us, I guess, let me think of the fourth, fifth, and sixth would be the main ones we're looking at. So the Furball, and then the Tudadanin, and then the Malaysians. So that's, and people try and find the, and there's another race as well looking off the coast to kind of intertwine the, the Lorians. So, um, you have, okay, one tradition, and the thing is, all these things are different traditions. There's so many different traditions even before you get to that point. But we're going to kind of get really, really simple. We'll try and make an amalgamation. I, I, you know what? I knew I walked into this because I knew that you were going to say there's no one origin myth, and I was just like, Duh, I knew that. <laughs> we're going to try and keep it as focused as possible. Right. So, one of the traditions I go from, and this is definitely something that comes from the later Christian interpretation and then weaves into the later folkloric traditions, is this idea that the Tudidan, which has just been 
the goddess Tanu, that they are in fact angels. And the story goes, and this is taking the, the origin myth back about 15 billion years or something, if you really want to go back in time. There's a place I, I love that story. That is that that story exists in so many different ways in so many different forms. So please, yeah. yes. Well, go with it. There's a place called heaven. All right, just deal with it. It's called heaven. There's somebody called God. I don't know if it's a man or a woman or a big goat or whatever. There's God. And she's got a pal, Lucifer, and they're doing their thing and they're running heaven and there's angels and it's all cool. And then there's a, a disagreement between God and Lucifer. And when I tell the tale, I bring in different traditions of what that, how we could get this argument going. And it kind of ties in this idea that the angels are up in heaven and they're not really doing much. So God gives them a bit of responsibility. He's going to make mortals and they can watch over. But the mortals, because they're mortals, get short lives. This is one of the arguments that I kind of weave in from different traditions. The mortals have short lives. And some angels are put out with this because it means if their lives are shorter, they're going to be more important than mortal lives. And so this is the argument I have. That this is the crux of this tension. And it kind of erupts. And so there's angels fighting for God. There's angels fighting for Lucifer. But then there's another group of angels who refuse to take sides. This is coming to the Christian tradition and the Torah tradition, and they refuse to take sides. And so these angels, God defeats Lucifer, Lucifer's cast out, those angels are cast out, but now she's got these angels who haven't taken sides. What is she to do with them? We can't cast them out to hell because she had them warred against her. They didn't fight for it. So what she does is she kind of expels them to this place, Earth. And they're going to wait there on Earth until she kind of figures out where her suitable punishment's going to be. They can wait there until she's kind of figured out what she's going to do with them. This is a most gentler version of the Book of Enoch. <laughs> well, it's gentle in some ways, but in some ways it's not. If you think about, you know, you... Are a perfect being living if you're trying to, you know, go into the. I agree, I am. Yeah, you are. Yeah! <laughs> perfect beings are the finest examples um, of men in the world. And um, so the idea is that expulsion gives them this edge, which when they finally meet these mortals, these humans, causes tension. And so they come down. And there are different traditions, but I'm going to be sure. One is that they come down through the north, through Scandinavia, they come down that way, and then they come through to the, the west of Ireland, through mist, they come to boats and stuff, and they come here. And what I'm saying just now is really, you know, I'm thinking of my landscape here, Landscape is a big part of why teach is, is very important. So we have a landscape here, not far that way, is a, a hill called Nogma. And then that way, they've got the kind of coastline of Connors, maybe, um, Connemara, Mayo, even push up any slightly to the coastline there. Um, in the middle of this, you've got um, Loch Corrib and the River Corrib, which is quite near my house. And suddenly this landscape is where everything happens. And there are, they come here and 
they make war against the Firbolg and they defeat them. And so then the two of the Dan now have they are in control of Ireland. And there's again tradition, tradition, tradition they slaughter all the Firbolgs, another one that they they give them uh, Connemara and they can live there and they live there as giants and then some of those giants end up in having arguments with St. Patrick far later on later on. But so then they're now here and you have all these uh, incredible characters and, and magical beings. And again, one of the arguments is that pre-Christian, but we don't know because we just can't say these were actually gods. But when the Christian rewrites it, they rewrite them as, you know, magical humans, but not quite gods, because we can't have gods, because you know, there's only one god. So they're here, and oh, there's, there's a lot of stories going on here. I might start throwing names and stories at you in a minute just to kind of clarify, but they're here. They've got things right. They've got their, their they've got control of the land. But one of the things about the two Dan, and it comes in later into the kind of traditions of the Dinima, the, the good folk, the fairies and the folk tradition, is that they're, they're quite argumentative, okay? They, they disagree amongst themselves. And again, this is myth and folklore around the world, you know, with these powerful beings. They should just be relaxed. We're powerful, we've got what we want, but they kind of have these disagreements with each other. And so, hold on a sec, give me a wee moment. Hold on, we may have one of the Firbolg come up the stairs is there. Oh no. How's it going down there? Okay. It's, it's those incorrigible giants again. I'm just going to pause for a second. We may just have to just go with the chaos. That's fine. That's all. Anyway. Chaos is important. This is the important part. This is where it all happens. Okay. So, uh, the king, he's injured. He loses his arm. He's going to have to go off and find a new arm because he can't be a king without an arm. Don't know why, but he does. He has to go and find a new arm, silver arm. And um, the new king comes in. He's fresh. And he, he is... He is part to the Danon, but he's also part Fomorian. Who's the Fomorians? They are not one of the races that, that are kind of invaded Ireland. They kind of are off the coast of Ireland. And there's different accounts of them, so they're always kind of quite ugly and twisted, but Bresh's father was a Fomorian, was kind of very handsome. So he is ruling now between the Danon. And again, some traditions is he was a, a very brutal ruler, and this was part of the, the Fomorian um, aspect of him. But well, there's another side of us, maybe the Tudoran just didn't like the fact that he was wasn't fully Tudoran. But whatever happens, he gets thrown out, and he goes back to the Fomorians, and this is the next big battle comes in. So they, he brings them in, Balor is their lord, Balor the one eye. And is this Balor, B-A-L-O-R? Yeah. Okay. Do you know the story of Balor? Because the story of Balor, again, has so many echoes in, you know, my first thought is uh, Greco-Roman, but there's, uh, you know, I pick a, this minute, pick a tradition and you'll have the Balor story. Because it's Balor, he rules the Morians, but he has a dream. And we get this in so many of these stories around the world. And his dream is his grandson will 
killed him. So his daughter, he knows his daughter, she must never ever get pregnant with her children that will meet a man. So he kind of locks her in a tower, she's got 12 um, maids to kind of protect her from men. God knows what would happen if she saw a man. Right, of course. And, um, but then Balor, you know, imagine he goes and steals somebody's cow, as you do, and, and they want to get revenge. They see the tower, they've heard he's got a beautiful daughter in there. He's going to go and steal the daughter. He manages to trick his way in, but he sees the daughter, she's beautiful, he's beautiful, they fall in love. And they, they lay together as, you know, husband doth lay with wife, as it were, okay? And they become children. And so Balor, he decides that the children killed. And again, even as I'm speaking this, everybody's listening to this, whatever tradition you come from, you know this story because it's a version of it. He's going to get the children killed. And so they're all going to be killed. But a druid manages to... Hold on, poison me. <laughs> okay. All right. So I don't know what we're going to, have to do here because it's getting very loud. Um, well, well. We'll, su- we'll suffer through it. it. It's louder to you than it will be on the mic. It's louder to you than it will be on the audience. And unfortunately, you'll just get people saying, huh, that Balor, he had a point. <laughs> do you know what? Just give up. Just, we, we can chat for a few minutes until we'll look there. I think there's suddenly... Do you know what? We're all going to get ready for school tomorrow. I forgot this is for now. Until they tire themselves out. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's. It's. I assure you, it's ten times louder on your end than it is. On All right. Okay. Okay. I'll just speak lightly over it. So where where? Okay. I've returned. Ba- ba- Balor <laughs> was trying to keep his his daughter from I'm ever getting you. impregnated, but uh, obviously that but was going to fail because because she had children and the druid uh, protected them. Yeah, well, she protects one of them anyway, and he. It, it, it gets raised by uh, two dead animals, like a foster person. And um, again, that's a tradition as well in a lot of stories. And this is Lou uh, Vada and um, Lou the, the Long Hand. And again, the, the name means the eight. Can mean various things, different traditions. His hand, it could be his nimble hands, he's a good craftsperson. He also throws a lot of spears, so you know, that could be another thing. And he ends up um, killing Balor. And then the war that happens, a big war, a big stushy, and uh, Balor ends up getting killed. I think it's a sling. He uses a sling. He uses a sling to kill his own grandfather. So there's that kind of as I'm telling that in a disrupted way, I am sure you know yourself. I'm sitting here and I can think of endless versions of that story around mm-hmm. the planet. And, you know, powerful figure, dream, going to be killed by one of their offspring or their, you know, something, and they try and stop that happening. And right. That, Somewhere Joseph Campbell is self-high-fiving himself. Yeah, do you know what? It's all, it's all good. It's all good. So, so that happens. So that's that's they've now kind of got Ireland sorted. They've got the purple. They're doing nothing up in Connemara, being giants. Um, they make the peace with the Morians, and the that it works out quite well. But then you have the 
the sixth invasion, which is the Milesians and um, the Sons of Mill. And that's where we come into the story. And again, it's an interesting thing in that uh, the Irish story, the foundation story, it's about, it's a very much, whether an invasion story or a migration story, but the idea is that actually we, the Irish, were invaders as well, or migrants as well, because we came here as well. I'm going to try and narrow this down because there's different versions of this as well. One version is that there was I as mortals here anyway. You know, and when I write this, I kind of point to kind of engulf a lot of Neolithic weaponry and old uh, carded canoes and stuff like that. And I kind of feed that in the story as well. You can imagine there are models where there are kind of just never around the fringes. And they end up then trying to use up the two to die, and there's a walk. The other tradition, and then that tries in with a, again, there's, ah, try and keep it focused. Noah, you know Noah? Everybody knows Noah. Sure. He's like, the big bull, things get wet, mm-hmm. and the head iron. That guy. And, you know, he'd been off in his bull. But he had a, was his daughter or his granddaughter? Some biblical scholar will tell me. She got annoyed with him. Well, you know, she was doing that team thing, like, talk to the hand, I'm not listening to you. <laughs> I'm going to get my own boat. So she makes her own boat. She comes behind Noah's boat and she gets all her pals in. I'm summarizing this as much as I can. However, you've got all these women in this boat and there's only a few men there. Mm. According to all accounts, the poor men are not there for their conversational skills. The poor men. And the poor men, one by one, die of exhaustion. And uh, but finally, they kind of go around, go around the world and you know, they kind of split from Noah and they put their enemy boat and eventually their enemy boat lands in Ireland. So the name is actually Noah in the Irish myth as well? No, 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 no. So the daughters, uh, you, this is, again, this is... It's the, a Christians were, The Christians who are writing this story later, okay. they're saying more from the Bible, and his daughter, oh my goodness, Kaiser, Caesar, Kaiser, whatever, she's a granddaughter. She comes, and so she is one of the early humans here, and she has uh, one of the men survives, and, they, and these women try and survive in Ireland, but they kind of succumb to weather and sickness and stuff like that. And eventually, she has a lover who oh, I can't remember what happens. He ends up getting to a salmon or something, and then she dies, and a thousand years later, he's found. And he's returned back into a human by some monks, and he tells a whole other story. I went off in a wee bit there. The point was, there's traditions where there's humans on the island, whilst there's two Epidani on the island as well. They were kind of wee minor characters there, but they weren't really involved in the narrative. But there's another tradition, the one that I think easier to use as a storyteller, and it's actually quite a poetic tradition. And it's also got, uh, you know, there's morals and all sorts. Is this idea that now the two of the Danin and all these uh, great figures, they now control Ireland. They've got it. And they've defeated their enemies, or, you know, with the footballs of Coromara, they've made a peace with the Fomorians, or they've made their place, everything's fine. And they live in this beautiful land, 
and everything, of course, is the most perfect version of everything. You know, the cows don't get milk, they get cream from the others. Uh-huh. You know, there's palaces, there's all this kind of stuff. And then in one tradition, what you have is, and again, this goes back to the trade route thing, you have this tradition where you have in the Iberian Peninsula, there is a poet, Ith, and he comes on an exploration, he can see this green land and he's wanting to see it over the horizon, and he goes and he goes to a wee party and eventually comes to Ireland and he gets here. And he comes on and he's amazed at this land, it's fertile, you know, the, the wheat's as high as an elephant, whatever, and you know, the cows given cream and palaces and all sorts, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And his comrades, they kind of stay on the coast, he goes further in, and at some point, he comes across three of these immortal beings, whether it's fallen angels or gods, whatever, the two that are, and he comes across three of them. And these three lords, you know, they're beautiful, they're handsome, they're even more handsome than us two. Wow. You know, that handsome. Dare to imagine. It is hard to imagine. Let's give our audience a pause there for a minute. Yeah, everyone sit down. Sit down. All right. Even more handsome than us. And so, but the thing is, these three lords are arguing with each other. And they're arguing over who owns what bit of land and who's going to get this bit of land. And if this mortal poet who's made this journey, some say from the Iberian Peninsula, he stands up and says, what are he's doing? Because he's a poet, poet, I like to speak out. What are he's doing? This land is so fertile and beautiful. There's, there's enough room for all three of his wives arguing. And of course, these three mighty lords, these immortal beings, these fallen angels, whatever they are, these gods, they look at this, and there's this thing that looks a bit like them, but it's kind of smaller, and it's one of these mortals, they get a bit of a shock, then they get angry, because it's talking to them, and it's treating them as equals, and so the three of them immediately turn on this, and they beat them to death. Oh. And it's kind of almost like an original sin thing going on here, they they don't quite kill him, they beat me, beat me, and they leave for dead. This is not dead. Because if he was dead, the next 2,000 years of Irish history wouldn't happen. Right. So, he, he crawled, broken, boned, and bloodied back to the coast to his comrades, I think his brother's there. Kills him, was hardened. They head back to their homeland, and they decide they're going to get their revenge. Okay, you don't be, don't be killing poets, don't be doing that. Yeah. And they raise an army. And the army comes to Ireland. And then you get the huge battle between the mortals and the immortals. And in the end, what happens, and I mean, I'm going to detail one of my books, but to sum up what happens is eventually, I think these immortal deities, if we're going to call them deities, you know, they know they're going to win, they get magic, they get power. Magic's a big thing with them, they can do magic. But the thing with these mortals, these humans, we know this, is they are tenacious. You slaughter them, they just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. And eventually, well, they took them down. And 
they you get to a point and when I, when I tell the story it's very hard not to think of later Irish history you know there always these points where there's not quite a victory but there's not quite a defeat but you have to kind of get an agreement of some sort and so the mortals also called the Gales and Asians, or I just call them the mortals, they kind of say, okay, here we're going to do kind of a peace with you. We'll split Ireland in half. Make it in half. We have one half and we have the other half. And the two that Ireland who have, you know, suffered defeat and deaths and things that they just they'd never experienced, they agree to this, okay? And the kind of the truce and treaties we call go back to the 1920s. They, they do this as agreement, and the agreement has more or less stayed in place till this very day. Even though the agreement turned out was a trick, because what happened was the mortals, as mortals, the half of Ireland they got was like the half of Ireland above the land. Okay, so we got all the fields. The trees and the seasons, the sunlight and the starlight, we got above the land. Whereas the half that we did and got was beneath the land, it was there underneath the ground. And so then they go under there, that becomes their realm. And they have their own palaces there, and their own fields and their own things going in there. And so that's the kind of foundation thing. So then they go in. The, under the land, but it doesn't end there. There's <laughs> one of them now because yeah. they keep coming back. The faithful, and then yeah, they come back in various stories with the heroes and various. I think you have a leprechaun problem. We do, but give me a wee second. We're just going to see. If we can do. So we'll just go and look at some leprechauns. Give me one second. Okay, bring your sling. Okay, so, oh dearie me. Um, so I'm hoping that explains in a roundabout way one of the origin myths anyway. And somewhere in there we have um, characters who will then appear in later stories as well that pop up in the different kind of big cycles stories. Um, Trying to think off the top of my head. My head's slightly distracted just now, as you can imagine. We have leprechauns running about the house, which is always problematic. Uh, always a problem, but, yes. I do. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, let's see if I can if I can help a little you bit. Jump in. Or or at least harm. One, I don't know if this helps or not, but I know that the sort of the famous folkloric Irish hero, they at least made it to my ears, sort of almost like the Hercules or the Monkey King kind of. But yeah. but but May, I'm not sure if semi-divine or not, is Finn McCool. Uh, and then the other item might be, just if you could put sort of names on the, I guess, the surviving godheads, uh, maybe names that we might, um, you know, either one of those things may, may help you find sort of your, uh, in, in, in law, because I'm a, in real life, I'm actually a lawyer, believe it or not. We have something called uh, black black letter rules and, and black lines. And so it's sort of, I think of it as a lifeline if I'm struggling in a swimming pool. That's the, the lap ropes that I sort of find to help pull myself yeah. back. back. Yeah. Give me some. I'm going to be having all these I'm going to move my chair in Hollywood. I have to move my chair. Sure, no, please. <laughs> there we go. Okay, Jim McCool is 
fascinating character. And yeah, so there are, um, so you got, again, he's this character, he's one of the, he's the captain of the FINA. And the FINA, you know, they're almost like um, Marvel superheroes. Yes. They're super strong and all this, and they, they leap over things and they, they can defeat a hundred folk. Look at their finger, and they're all kind of. And, but the other thing is, they're also kind of the arbitrators that kind of stop things happening in the first place. You know, they've got to kind of. So there's tensions building, the ones that kind of come in there and try and keep it calm. But I guess the main thing with their stories is that there's, there's a lot of slaughter in their stories. There's a lot of slaughter. But there's also a lot of very beautiful things as well. And so this is a later tradition. Oh, the two of the Dan do feed in to these stories as well. And I'm thinking just as we're talking, um, one of the, the, the later, because Firmico's got his son, um, Ushin. And Ushin's, Ushin then, their stories take right through, St. Patrick the Ushin. So you actually, if you follow these, you can actually do a line from Two of the Dan to uh, the Fina through St. Patrick. You can make those joins, but they, they don't exist. They're, they're all later folk weaving them in, but that's fine. But that's what we've got. So there's a lovely tradition with one of his. Um, oh, do you know what the thing about? Isn't Patrick though in in? I might be using the wrong language, but but Gaelic or isn't it Patroig something like that? Oh, you're talking. Uh, oh, you're going the land thing. You're going back to because he's originally again. He's another. Migrant, he's Welsh. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going completely out of my lane. I, you know, I, I read something in a book, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spouting out a, a for. Never mind. Let's let's stick with the expert. <laughs> Do you know what? I should do that answer to him, and just because I'm my um, let's have, and I'm. Do uh, you know why I'm annoyed with myself? It's one of the things I studied when I studied history at uh, the university here, which I now teach, was St. Patrick, and because of course, St. Patrick. Unlike a lot of the myths, we do have evidence we have his own letters that he wrote, and they give you a very strong sense of the personality. We can come back to St. Patrick in a minute. Sure. If we go back to the Dan, to the Dan. So, to the Dan, you have these powerful beings who are now living in their own realm. And so then you're talking about do the mortals, they're still interacting with the mortals, they're giving them knowledge, they're giving them you know, various crafts and things. Um, there have been, um, there's shrines to some of these immortals as well. Um, so there's all these, there's a faith building around them. And then you have stories as well building around them. And one of the lovely stories is one of the the kings of the children is, is Bojerg. And he is, he has so many stories come off him children of the year come off him, but also um, one of the most beautiful parts of the Venus stories come off him as well. And his daughter, give me a minute, he's got, a, he's got daughters and then he's got um, like daughters, like he's taken in like stepdaughters, like you know, he's, he's often adopted daughters. Adopted daughters, that's the word adopted. So he has a daughter. Sive, 
And so she's one of these magical beings, okay? And she is apprenticed to one of the druids. And his name is Far Dorka. Wait, we have now slammed the door. Far Dorka, the, the dark man. And she's apprenticed to him. And again, it's that interest. She's been, she's a woman, but she's been learning this craft. She's learning magical crafts from this druidic figure. But the problem is he, he takes a fancy to her and he's, he's got, he has intentions on her and she's getting, she's kind of fighting off his advances. And so one of his servants tells her this how you escape and go and find um, Sherman McCool of the captain of the Fina and he'll protect you. So she tries to escape, but then the, the druid, he catches her and he turns her into a deer. Okay? So now she's gets, but she gets to the west of Ireland in the form of a deer. And then we have Fjord McCool. He has two dogs. Oh, dearie me, there's a whole cycle of stories with these two dogs. Just except Bran and Swan. They're dogs. They've good spirits of humans because their mother was a human. Was cursed by another wicked two of the dynamic. I've just summed up a massive story there in two seconds. So he's got two dogs, and they're very intelligent, these dogs. They're very clever. And one of the things the Fina do when they're not fighting is they like to go hunting, because the whole hunting keeps them getting mushroom plowheads. And so Fjord McCool's out hunting deer, and finally they manage to corner this deer that we see. And as the Fina are going to go and kill this deer, Bran and Skull and the two dogs, they jump in front of it, they bark, they bark, they bark. And so Fiona says, hold on, hold on. If the dogs say we shouldn't harm this deer, then we can harm this deer, because these dogs are magical. So they don't harm the deer, this, this dog. And they head back to the fort there of um, Fiona And the deer falls. And, and that night, um, she transforms back into sign and her and Jim McCool become lovers. Of course. And, of course, but the story doesn't end there because he becomes quite uh, enamored with her. And so all his other duties isn't really going to his other duties. He's with her all the time. He's in love with her, which is good. But eventually... But he has responsibilities. He's not paying attention to them. He's the hero of, of he's the leader. He's He's know. the leader. Right. He's busy with this. Right, it's like King Arthur, but King Arthur's hanging out in, in Camelot not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Don't be doing that. You have to get you know, because that's bad things happen. Right. You know? You know, you have to be active. You know. It's good for you. Have your vascular exercise, give the fresh air, you do all those kind of things. But he's hanging out with this woman. Which is fine, she's hanging out with him. But then eventually, you know, he has to, he has to go back. And there's, uh, Plus, there's a druid that's been that's been um, rejected. Yeah, don't mess with druids. Just don't do it. Yeah, he has to go. So, eventually, he has to go in a war somewhere, and he says to Sive, "I'll be back. Don't leave the fort." <laughs> you know, well, I'm thinking about the, you know, Don't answer the phone. Right. Do not do this. Everybody Don't eat the apple. Right, got it. We know what's going to happen. Don't 
do not do this. And she says, I will not do it. She says, wait here. They're safe in the door. And I'll come, in. I'll come back and you'll be fine. So she waits there. And he waits, she waits there. And eventually, I don't know, years went by. She's getting, she's missing him. She's missing him. She's, she's wanting to leave. And she wants to go and try and find him. And, you know, she her heart's beating. And she's, there's woe and there's tears on her. And there's gnashing her teeth and all that kind of stuff. She really wants to, to find him. And, of course, at that moment, she's really, really wanting to find him. She looks out the window. And there he is. He's walking across the field with Darn Skull and the dogs. And one of the things he said to us, never leave. I'll come into the fort. Don't you leave. I'll come in and you know it's me. Of course, she runs out. And she gets to him. We all know it's, it's the wicked druid. And he pulls it out. He has a hazel wand and he smacks her with it. Turns her back in the door. He's gone. And he leaves, and she's never seen again. And Kim McCool comes back and he discovers this terrible thing that's when he's loved, has vanished. So then he goes on a quest to try and find her, and he never finds her. And then at one point, I don't know how many years went by, like seven years again, he's in the woods and he hears crying, and he comes across a child, it's a wee boy child. And the child, you can see the semblance to Saif, and he realizes this is their son. So he takes him in, and he is called Little D, which is Ushin uh, in Irish. And so that's how Ushin becomes. And then Ushin has incredible stories as well, which then take us up to St. Patrick. And that's one of the most beautiful stories of Fionnacool. Now, Fionnacool is a fascinating character as well because. You have lots of different marriages with John McCool, and then we get to him as an old man as well. The end of his story is when he's an old man, and I was thinking about this today because I was I was trying to I, I was telling him that I have this poetry commission just now and trying to write a poem about um, the Civil War in Ireland, which is a very difficult subject. Even though it was a hundred years ago, it's still very Difficult subject to approach. Sure, and I mean, I, I'm in the United States, but you know, we we, we still, still struggle yeah, with the Civil War. Probably will for generations. Yeah, and so one of the things in it was there's a this new democracy set up, but it's also compromises made. So some folk are getting it, and, but this voted for people vote, but then the government that sets up then passes this bill. And it's almost a negation of the democracy that's been set up because the bill, it's um, it's called the Public Safety Bill. Now, do ever passes a thing called Public Safety? You know, it's just it's not going to be good, and it gives it gives the military tribunals the right to execute anybody that they think there's in rebellion, and that's kind of nasty. But I, when I was writing about this point, I was trying to work out how to get into the character. And one of the things I was thinking about was this new republic, the way. Free state, the way it reacted, at least some of its leaders reacted, it reminded me of the Spartan head of German Cole when he was older. And, and to me, I didn't use this to put it then, it was just part of my walking through to get to where I was going. But it was, this was a young democracy, and it was actually acting as a bitter, 
precious as the older Carmichael, as those new Carmichael story. He's an old man, an old man, and he decides that he's going to, you know, um, give himself a bit of a boost and get himself a, a young bride. And uh, this is Gronje, and uh, Gronje's not having it. Uh, there's a whole other story there. She runs off with Jermit. Uh, and uh, and so when she flees, and again, part of the landscape here, there's stories around Jermit um, and um, He sets his army to go and find them. And Brand's gone as well. All the kind of things that are quite heroic in the early stories, they're all used again in this later story. And it's a very beautiful story, it's a very heroic story, it's a very heartbreaking story. But he's older and bitter. And he uses all the force of his military prowess to try and, you know, because he's, he's, he just finds it shameful, this young woman, that he, he was going to be doing his thing with. She ran off with this young man. And there's an anger there, bitterness there. So that, so that's the film with Kuhl. He's a very interesting character. Pause for a minute and sure. check to see if you can let the cons about. And, uh, hold on. No, we're not. So, I can have an awful bit of a tangent there, but one of the other things about all these heroic characters is that I am going back to what we're talking about, Star Who, we're constantly in Ireland, re-engaging those stories and finding new ways of looking at them. They're very interesting living, um, I'm trying to think about tropes, but something, you know what I mean? They're, they give you the tools to think about things. Mm -hmm. No one knows stories gives you the tools that can help think about things. So I was thinking about the Civil War. The tool I had in my head to let me get to where I had to go in my poem was the older Kermichael. I didn't use that imagery in the poem, but I needed it in my head to get to where I was going in the poem. So they're very important. Um, the muse, the guide. Your muse was older Kermichael. Yeah. For this poem, might, might not always be your muse. May, may not be your permanent muse, but for this one, was for this one, muse. I needed it. I needed it, and it was interesting. Just it sparked in my head. It's like ah, yeah, yeah. I have a question for you. While we're at, we seem to be at a natural pause, and you may have addressed it already. I'm not sure. It may be embedded into what we've already talked about. But sort of, you know, you can't talk about Ireland myth without talking about the Fey folk, the fairies, which is I understand it, are magical beings. They're not like, you know, Tinkerbell fairies. They're, they're, they come in all shapes and sizes, from sprites to full human size to scary creatures. They might be dwarves. They might be trolls. They might be ogres. It's it's like a basically every monster that's in Dungeons and Dragons that's somewhat humanoid can be considered uh, fey folk from my understanding, which, of course, my understanding is... Well, very much shaped by Dungeons and Dragons and movies and American media. And then, you know, but, you know, we, we get media from everywhere else and, you know, and books and whatever. But I have someone who, who you know, runs runs a program called Celtic Tales. And I figure that you may just have some insight on what or who the fey folk actually are and how are, are they related to the gods? Are they something even pre-god? Is are they Are they some of these offspring that were sort of hybrids that, that maybe went a little bit wrong or maybe went exactly right, just not just not for human consumption. Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> there you go. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so 
one of the arguments is that it actually ties back to this older idea of the Tutadanin, the, the, the angels who are cast in heaven and then control island and then are cast underground and into the realms underground. And one of the arguments is that the, the, the fairy folk are the continuation of that because you have all these uh, portals into the realms that are kind of on hills where you've got Iron Age forts and stuff. These are all the kind of fairy rings and things like that. And you have certainly the characters and their engagement with humans has that nature and that kind of sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be, you know, problematic. And there's also these aspects of people could disappear looking for you know, you could step in the fairy world and you vanish and we actually have stories all that right back to now you're trying to precinct Patrick it's but you crowns um crom the, the the big um god and, um when the first kings of Ireland he built great shrines to him and then he wanted to find out more about him and then he stepped into his world and his interactions were never seen again, they vanished. And so it's almost like one of those fairy stories you get, you know, from modern times. But this is this is a long time ago. It's very it's got very similar elements to it. So there's a lot of arguments that it's a, you know it's a, it's, a, it's the fairies are to the and they are the, the fallen angels and that's certainly the position I play with. And the nice thing about that then is that there's always an element of shape-shifting as well. So in fact, they can take on any form they want and they can actually be beautiful or monstrous or whatever. But I, I like the fact that um, these magical creatures that you get in Irish and Scottish folklore, they, they turn up weird ways Particularly in American movies, I, I think it's quite fun. I tell a story of um, the Grugak. The Grugak is the uh, the people in Scotland and they were hardworking, but uh, they had to leave. I think the Scots arrived and were too noisy, so they left. They came into Ireland, came down through Antrim, and spread around Ireland. But the Irish were as noisy as them, so they changed shape. These tall, beautiful beings, and they shrank down. Had long hair group, just his hair, the people of the hair group work. And with long, long hair, they looked a bit like, is it it? From the Adams family? It was the cousin <laughs> it. They, no. they, they looked like it. And eventually became known as the brownies. It was the help of the brownies. But the Grugak, the, the Grugak, there is a Grugak um, character in, I think it's one of the Hellboy movies. Look at this character, and it's like, it looks like a cross between a bear and a uh, a boar with tusks and all Oh, sorts. yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, and then... And it's got lots of hair on him. It's definitely got lots of hair on him. It's, there's definitely... They've kept the hair. Yeah, like, a, like a wild... Like a wild boar, but standing upright. That's it. That's it. And I think that's great. I actually really enjoy... I mean, it's one of the things I talk about with my students as well as, you know, everybody knows somebody's uncle who's 
knows the story, but they feel behind them. And these are part of your stories, they're part of your heritage. Play with them. Folk have been playing them for a long time. Do well, not see them like museum pieces. There'd be no American movies like this without Tolkien, without C.S. Lewis, and there'd be none of, you know, those, those gentlemen without the mythologies of you know, all of Europe and into Indo-European prehistory and uh, Sumeria and Canaan and, and Africa, you know, North Africa, Egypt, you know, maybe especially. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all, you know, a, you know, North India. I mean, it's all, it's... It's, it's all good. Yeah. It's all alive and it should be kept living and kept changing. And if they're living, again, I'm that point, I was working on that point, if these are living things... Then they will come to you. You know, they're not something you see in a museum. They're part of your DNA. You know, so I'm, I'm struggling with a poem and ancient Fiona Kills in my head helping me. Maybe he's not going to be in the poem, but he's there because the story's there in my head. And so these poems, these stories are very important. So the, yeah, so the, the fairy folk are, are um, the Dinimab chicken is Irish for, um, the good people, the good folk, and they are, uh, yeah, they are capricious. You know, they're, they're definitely they're the good folk, but they're not always good. Sort of like the Nephilim. They're the they're the heroes of old, the great men of renown, but they're not. They don't always get along with each other or others. Yeah, and is that, that this is a tradition again, not just in Ireland but around the world? If you 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 give positive names to things that are actually a bit scary and almost like a respect or even a whole thing you call it good because oh it's like it's like calling a small guy tiny i mean a large guy tiny you're like uh yeah, it's, yeah. Maybe no, I, don't, I don't know it could be yeah you give it yeah you give it a, a thing to kind of help you little john i'll take it a, a little bit closer to your part of the world little yeah. john so we again and fascinating thing is we have this landscape here i'm talking about knock my um, all that landscape that was described in that kind of arc of landscape there, and that you have all these incredible stories, um, not just the two of the Danon, but you're talking about up into Sligo, you've got uh, you've got the Fina stories, you've got Queen Maeve and the Ulster Cycle stories, and then you've got um, folklore stories, uh, you've got Finvara and Una, with the king and the queen of the Connacht fairies. And again, there's these elements of you go back, going right back again. You know, you're, these characters in the two that I'm in, if you treat them respect, you're going to, your crops are going to work and all that kind of thing. You don't, they're not going to work. But that, that survives into, you know, with um, Rente, I'm not trying to think of the last one, the last recorded fairy war. I'm sure there's a folklore out there with their finger at me, but I think in this part of the world, it was something like the 1770s or something, when Scottish fairies invaded Connacht and they invaded in the form of beetles, you know, destroying the crops. And Finvara, who was he's the king of the fairies here in Connacht, and Una, the queen, they historically would have these fairy wars between different fairy armies, and then if the home team won, the crops would, would flourish, if the home team lost, there would be famine. And so 
these beetles came in and they were eating up plants and stuff and then they obviously left again something happened but the story as people understood it was that there was it was a fairy war it was the, the fairies from Scotland coming over here and then Fulvara rode out and defeated the fairies and that's what happened and so that's a, a fairy war that happened in not you know in recent times and there's elements in that that clash and looking after crops and magical beings looking after crops it takes you right back to the original stories of these deities or the Tudoran and the Bond Angels. So it's like, it's like continuing as well. I'm using big words and start the first That's okay. We, we like big words, yeah. But, but so there's, there's, that, there's, like, there's, there's definitely continuities there. Um, but there's, there's changes as well. So it's, again, it's, it's how you see things, how you choose to see things again. Well, like Roger Daltrey said, meet the old boss or meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You got yeah, 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 yeah. Different, you're a different powerful being, sort of doing the same things. Uh, just uh, kind of doing the same things. And, and what I do is I, I then say, okay, they are just the same things because you know there's there's the fairy folk have a difficult legend, a difficult engagement with the church as well, and. Which is again parallels the Tudoran difficulties with the big uh, God. So there are right. Well, you can't have gods and God. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. there's a problem it's there. Problematic there already. It's like, yeah. yeah. So there is that going yeah. there as well. And you sort of have to have that. You can't have all these you know gods and things influencing people if your if your whole basis is you know free will to choose good or evil, right? Is it? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's just the, that's what, this is the whole free will thing is, yeah. Yeah, it's not just gods and versus God. It's, I mean, because you could explain that by the angels and the, you know, the fallen angels, but you have to have that free will thing there too, uh, you know, to, <laughs> to get saved. I mean, otherwise, you know, again, chaos. Um, this, this seems like a great place. I, and I'm, by all means, you can, Finish if you can, and but this is probably a good place to segue into St. Patrick, right? Yeah, sure. Um, we could do that, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll just think very quickly there of, of Knock My Hill there. But, so that landscape, we have the Tudor but also that landscape, I think that's the place where Noah's granddaughter ended up. Oh. And then there's Queen Maeve, she's one of the big warrior figures from the West. She's a very huge figure she kicked off um, the battles that Cook uh, Cullen is famous for she's the one that kicked it all off um, but then how does it sequence into um, St. Patrick so St. Patrick then he's coming in and he's coming in I, I, I love St. Patrick as a character I don't know if I it's something we have a lot of problems with, but the way I, I tell folk is, you know, we have the Roman world, which he was part of, and the Roman world is under threat, and, you know, he is Christian, he's part of that kind of Romano-Britain-Welsh, you know, kind of Christian leadership there, his family are, he's taken as a slave to Ireland. I think he works as a 
shepherd slightly or something like that but eventually he gets away back and then he has all these things where he, he there's traditions where he goes to Europe and he's seen the kind of chaos it's starting to envelop the Roman world and then he comes back here and, and he, he has this voice telling him he needs to go back to Ireland and he needs to save them because the world's about to end they have not found Christianity yet, so they're instantly going to go to hell. So he has to go and convert to Christianity before everything goes to pot, and so they'll go to heaven. And so he comes back here with that very passionate, burning love to get them, to save them. And um, he comes in and, and suddenly he there's a lot of things that he does are very powerful and magical and, they, and they, there's, there's definitely elements of the, the heroic characters that are into his stories. The letters he wrote are, fa are fa fascinating because he's he's very honest in his letters and the tensions he's been put, and you get a sense that he's, somebody's, he's playing different power groups, different polities on the island, he's making alliances and they're betraying him and they're kind of killing his followers and then he's trying to there's, there's all sorts of seductions and all sorts and failings of his own you're like he's very much a real real person um which i really enjoy but then you've all these stories that are tied in with that and again this is people trying to understand what this powerful personage coming into the land is and then we have towards the end of his life we're talking, he goes up Crow Patrick, and Crow Patrick, we think of it as just this hill, he goes up, and then he kind of um, does his thing up there. But uh, Crow Patrick actually ties in with um, a lot, it was almost like a yeah, universe is the wrong word, but it's a place where folk would go to learn astronomy and look time yeah. to plant crops and all that kind of yeah. things. And there's different like wee things built there that mark different types of the year. So it's a very much a pagan site, a very powerful pagan site that he's going to reclaim for his Christian God. And so he's going through a landscape where all these things are very alive. And obviously these different polities, some of them are finding useful of this powerful figure who's obviously getting a following. He's obviously must be very charismatic. And so and one of the stories I love about him is there's a story about him, one of the, his followers, I can't remember the name now, is a, a young man who comes with him and there's different traditions. Some people say he was his nephew, some people say he was his son, some people say he was his lover. It doesn't matter. He has this uh, young man with him as well and he clearly has a very strong love for him. You get this sense in the stories as well. There's something I talk about when I write about him as well. This companion he has and how of all the miracles he does, he does incredible things. The one he does not do is when his companion is dying on an island. I was not too far from here either. I can't remember the name, I'm tired. But uh, when he's dying on this island, they built a wee church and his, his companion's dying. The one miracle he does not do is save this child's, this young man's life. And I, I found that fascinating, you know, and part of me thinks that it's because only God can do that. It's only God can actually save lives. And I'm a 
when I write about it, I think well, it's almost like a, tem- a temptation. You know, he's, he's, he has this moment where he could, because he's very powerful, very right. magical. He, he opted he not to leave the fort, unlike uh, the yeah. Boudicca's, uh, not Boudicca, Finn, Finn McCool's uh, latest wife. Yeah, he, he lets the, the blood die. And so the, he's a fascinating character. And then he gets to, no, the royal thing, is he part of the way? That's my dog now who's joining in the chorus. That's okay. Yes. Um, St. Patrick then, he goes up to the top of Kilpatrick, and what he does is he does the 40 days of fasting again. 40 days, sure, of course. And he does that, and there's all sorts of, um, he's going up there, there's there's, there's all sorts of things that happen. There's the devil comes out, and uh, there's beautiful women, there's... Uh, there's insects at him, there's uh, snakes at him, there's all sorts. He gets to the top of the hill and there's crows and all sorts at him. And eventually the angels chase the crows away and he can do this communing with God. And what he does is he kind of holds his arms out and now he's at this moment of epiphany with you know, God and he, he, his gaze goes around Ireland. When his gaze fell, you know, everybody became uh, virtuous. Paying their taxes on time and be nice to their neighbours and bounce to each other's cows and all that kind of stuff. So he, he, his gaze fell a little wild. However, there's a lovely one of the things, again, with both the traditions of Scotland and this, and I guess it's around the world about how traditions carry on being living traditions, is there's, you get stories that are just, you know, they prick the bubble, you know, pomposity. And there's a wonderful version of, he's up there on the hill, and his gaze is going around the whole of Ireland, okay? And he, he turns around with his arms spread out. He's, you know, he's gone, he's only 40 days of not eating, and there's, you know, there's angels all around him, he stares at him, and his gaze goes around the whole of Ireland. However, there's a tradition that he didn't turn the full way around, and one part of Ireland didn't get his eyes gazing at him, it got his arse gazing at him. <laughs> And that one part of Ireland, nobody changed. Nobody, oh, Leprechauns. Nobody became, nobody became um, pious. They carried on drinking and playing music and uh, kissing folk when they shouldn't be kissing them and all sorts of things. I'm going to pause for a second. Oh, give me a second. Give me a second. Is that part so, Ulster by any chance? No. no that, <laughs> Very good. No. Okay. There's different traditions. The tradition, one tradition here is that part of the guy's backside was Inish more than Ireland across there. Um, and so they carried on playing music and drinking and partying. As other traditions, that it was actually down, his ass was pointing towards Kerry, which is further down. And so I think every corner of Ireland is ah. there's, there's, there's a tradition right. of his ass there in Ireland. Right. Whatever, so, whatever your rival is. You, yes. you, that they got yeah. the they got the, the rear ends. And I love this again. It's a living thing as well. So I, I, I don't know if I've answered your question. There was a question there. I may have answered it. I no, you did. You did answer it. It's, it's, it's unknown. It's it's it's, uh, it's 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 become literally the butt of jokes. Um, <laughs> yes, um, I have like a really trivial question. Uh, was it was the, this mountain called Kilpatrick? Before he went there, or did it change names after he went there? It's Crowpatrick, yeah. It's uh, after. I, okay. I do know the name because I studied it 
I can't remember his name. That's okay. But, we'll, but, uh, no, actually, we'll call it Olympus. I'm going to deliberately not tell you to okay. set a task for your listeners to go and look yourselves. Ah, uh, yes, but my listeners are clever and they're going to just say, just bring them back again and, and, and you know, and hopefully you will. Uh, and instead yeah, of being... Or so- they can buy one of my books because it's in one of my books anyway. Oh, well, we're going we're, we're to get to you being able to plug all your stuff very shortly. Um, because I, I, it's six hours ahead where you are, so the, it's it's it coming on uh, eleven p.m. where you are. So I want to be very thankful. I have two quick questions. I think these are both yep. historic fi- uh, figures, but are both sort of semi-mythical as well. I don't know yep. which was earlier in history and which was later. So you can of course correct that. But as yep. as quick as you can, Brian Baru, the closest as I understand that Ireland's ever had a king or domestic yep. king anyway, and Boudicca, the 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 warrior woman. Yeah. Um, I, but Boudica, she, she's more English, isn't she? She's the English one. She's got the, the good <laughs> big... Uh, right. Down to London, we've got the, the lovely big um, statue of her. Um, one of the bridges near the Parliaments. It's a lovely thing. Uh, Brian Baru, yeah, he's definitely... He was the... The knee, he, a lot of people think of him as the Celtic. Oh, right. Boudicca, she was a Celtic in Britain who fought against the Romans. Okay, see. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, good. Uh, that, that, that cuts your task in half. <laughs> because it has. Half. Yeah. Um, so, um, Brian Baru, yeah, he is a real character. He is, again, the idea is that he managed to defeat the Vikings and save out from the Vikings, which is not true because half his army was Vikings. Again, it's the whole kind of to the land of the Morians who were all mixed together. And at that point, it was all mixed together. He also wasn't the last high king of Ireland because this again is going to be contentious. Um, 300 years later, I get this right. I'm just checking my brain here. 200 years later. A couple of centuries later. Okay, just work with me here. There was another man declared High King. And, excuse me, tired, you know, it's all coming together. Scotland, again, we spoke about, if you look at the map, where you can see all the links and all that. So Scotland is now an independent country, it's 1314. And it's, the king is... Robert Bruce and his brother is, now what's his brother's name? Is it Edward Henry Bruce? Something like that. These are Bruce as well. And of course, these are uh, Gaelic speaking kings, you know, this is, and so um, this peace between Scotland and Ireland, not Scotland and England, there's been a war now, Mm there's this kind of uneasy peace, and during that uneasy peace, um, Robert Bruce sends his brother to Ireland, where he is recognised by many of the lords and the high Barmerside as the High King. And he tries to raise the Irish to then kick out the English thing the Scots have. But some folk argue he wasn't. You know, he was. If it had worked, it had been great. But it was actually a bit of a, you know, it was almost like kind of like Scotland was deliberately stirring up trouble in Ireland to keep the English from causing trouble on the Scottish border, you know, divide and conquer, you know, two two front war, the whole thing. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, 
So he's actually, he was the last declared high king. Same reason the French helped the colonies. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, yes, yes. And, um, that worked out better for them than they planned, but <laughs> yeah. so too well, as it turned out, because of their own revolution <laughs> about 10 or 15 years yes. later. Yeah, because yeah, they spent all that money in America. Yeah, yeah. Right. so fighting the, the British, I think. Is that correct? That, that break the bank in France? So, anyway, something like that. So I, I need a different guess for that. Here's the trick, Rab. I don't really know yeah. anything. That's why I do this show. <laughs> okay. Well, exactly right. He was the he was the the second understudy in the band Rat. So yeah, he was uh, he he was the he was the unnamed member of Molly Crew. All right, I think that's officially a good time for us to let you uh, uh, tell us where we can support you, where we can find you, the name of your books, how people can buy it, and with the caveat that you are invited back cordially. You don't have to commit on air, obviously, because I'm not that kind of guy, and we can you know, f- figure, out, figure out less general topics and things that maybe where you know you you can dictate the agenda going forward because you're you know you obviously know which stories go with with which best you know but anyway tell tell promote yourselves promote your stuff well first of all thank you for getting going i i actually like having questions thrown at me and uh um i and the answer is I to all those questions. That's the end. Yes. Uh, all the, all, everything's real. Everything's real. Um, my, my, for myself, if you're coming over to Ireland, I do a storytelling show. It's now, it's called the Crane Bar. It's one of the trad music uh, venues in Ireland. And I do a weekly show there every Thursday. I'm starting again in March. And it gets busy, so you can book tickets online if you can get the You'll find your way to the place you can buy tickets. And uh, that's a great session. It's like 90 minutes of me telling stories. Then afterwards, there's trad music as well. So that's one of the things you can do. I also, there's books, lots of books, but for particularly the subjects we're talking about today, um, Golly Bay Folk Tales um, looks at a lot of the the later here with after the two did, and I mentioned the two down with the Canadian. It takes a deep dive into what comes on after that, right up to the scenes. And then I have a nice book. I was asked to do a book for children, folk tales called West Island Folk Tales for Children. But in that one, I, I dig into the tradition of the two and the war in heaven and how the fairies came from that. So in both those books, deal with different parts of this one big narrative and at some point I have to journey two narratives together. But um yeah, there's lots of books and there's lots of stories and there's actually more that can be promoted. But you know what? Just enjoy, jump in, find them, go and find the name of the hill that's in Patrick. Excellent. You know, find out which which find out wherever you are in the world, which village, city part of the country you dislike most and tell the story of St. Patrick's arse aimed at that part, okay? That's and exactly right. Right. And you can enjoy the joke that probably most people want to understand, but if they do, they may punch you in the face. So, you know, that, yeah. 
But but fighting is the Irish tradition, as we've learned. So uh, that is fine. Perfectly. uh, uh, Do we endorse violence? Well, of course, it's the Garden of Doom. Of course we do. What am I saying? Um, All right. Uh, Remember, folks, this is for entertainment purposes, and don't punch people in the face. (laughs) Uh, All right. I thank you so much for for being on. Um, Last question. Is there a particular Irish song or that I should use as the outro? Is and do you know what? I'll send you a link. Perfect, perfect, that works. Yeah, uh, it's a nice one. Yeah, I'm thinking of now. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll send you a link. Perfect, thank you. This is Rab uh, Fulton, uh, Celtic Towns. You've heard him say all uh, all of his places, and I thank you again. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I think, even though I'm I'm recording this at the very end of January. I'm going to try to release this right around whatever the closest Saturday is to St. Patrick's Day. I think that makes sense. Um, Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening, and you'll hear from us again next time in the Garden of Doom.